hey there, everyone. Welcome back to our young adult podcast here at FBC Huntsville. I am Sam Maxwell, and I'm joined again, as I normally am, uh, by the minister to young adults, Reverend, Reverend John Lemons. John, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing well. You just called me Reverend. Reverend. That happens. Um, how are you doing today? How are things? We, we took a little bit of a break after Straight out of Context, and now we're back. Yeah, man. That's good. I'm doing well. Um, we've had a good, quiet week over here. We're gearing up for our outing on Sunday at the Trash Pandas mm-hmm. event. So hopefully, uh, those who are listening, hopefully you, you signed up for that. If not, you will have a chance to join us for another event later on this summer. So just keep uh, aware of what's going on. Keep listening to the podcast. We will announce some other things we have going on. And check us check out our webpage. Uh, you'll see some things there as well. Yeah, talking about later this summer. You know, we've been talking about getting into summer, and one of the things I'm looking forward to that we do every year is the uh, the big kayaking trip that we do uh, later yep. in the summer. It's just you know, as the summer gets hotter, just an opportunity to go and float with some folks down the river. It's nice and cool and peaceful, and it's just a it feels like a great summer activity. So, like John said, yeah, it is. keep a keep an ear out. That'll be coming up. That'll be coming down a little bit later after some of these other things. Um, but as I mentioned, we are back. So at, we started season two with Straight Out of Context, a revisit from a summer study that we did, oh, I guess two years ago at this point, huh? Yeah, uh, it was 2019. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we thought, well, we want to conclude the season with a couple of episodes of something else. And we, you know, jumped around with a couple of different ideas and we landed on this one. Holy heresies, exclamation, echoes of heresy, exclamation. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a fun, no. It was a funny name because we were we were talking about you know well heresies aren't really holy that's why they're heresies but we we kind of looked at it as a sort of an exclamation like holy heresies Batman mm-hmm. so uh, that's kind of where we're coming from with the title on this one yeah and that's exactly what you said to me when I was like ah, you know I don't, I don't know if I want to call it holy heresies that kind of seems like you know they are opposed in tension and you were like no 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 it's like Batman like holy heresies Batman um, yeah so yeah. So now you know how we got that name. We're not uh, diving into something crazy. But this is the first week of a four-week series talking about church heresies. Now, I know often when you hear the idea of heresy, you think, oh, well, a bunch of ministers who went to seminary. Well, you know, for that exact reason, we thought, well, why don't we come and just talk about it? We're John and I are both reading through a book called Counterfeit Christianity with a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different opinions about heresy as it has existed in history and as it kind of looks in our modern day in whatever peace remains or doesn't remain or how we got to a certain point because of these types of things. So this week, we'll kind of just dive into the beginning of, well, what is heresy exactly? What does that mean? Why are we talking about it? Why is it important? Is there any bit of it left in our current lives or in our world, even if it's not related to Christianity? Is there, are there remnants? Um, and are there remnants within Christian life? Are there remnants within our own churches or in our own minds or hearts as we believe um, different things or read the Bible or think about and consider God and who God is and who God is revealed to be throughout the Bible. So this week we'll be talking about Gnosticism. It's a G-N-O, Gnosticism. Um, so we'll describe that one a little bit later. Next week we'll be talking about the Holy Trinity. So what do we think about Father God, Holy Spirit, and Son Jesus? And do the ways that we talk about it or think about it um, properly describe the nature of the Trinity. The following week, we'll be talking about Montanism and Marcionism. We will talk about 
both of those what are things. Those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about those. But basically, what do we do with the Bible? Right, we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament. There's so many things that seem to run against each other or create a lot of friction. So, are there parts that we can just throw out or discard, or do we? God have... seems so angry in the Old Testament. Yeah. Is what is what people always yeah. say. And then, what do you do with Jesus if you have a very angry God in the Old Testament, and then you have a very yeah. loving Jesus? Like, how do you put them together? Yeah, and people don't know that's a two thousand year old. Mm-hmm argument like that's not something that's come up in the last 20 years like Mm -hmm. that's what montanism and marcionism is so yeah it is funny though that on occasion we'll get people who will call us or email us and bring that up and think that it's like a gotcha question and we're like you are not the first person in 2000 years to ask us why this is Uh, yes and then the fourth week and this is a tongue twister uh say it 10 times if you can moralistic therapeutic deism so basically uh do people reduce God so much to become something manageable that God becomes something else completely different? Um, you know, trying to package a whole lot of different things together and ending up with a very different product. Um, so that is what we'll be. That's where we're headed over the next couple of weeks. And much like we talked about in our last season uh, or the beginning of this season in Straight Out Context, if you have questions or if you have thoughts or things you want to include, like this is a great study to have conversation with us about. I mean, it, I get really jazzed up about this. I get really excited because I think it's fascinating and it just tells us so much more um, about our faith and how we think about God and ourselves and a relationship to God. And I would love to invite other people into the conversation with us. So why you might be asking yourself, why did we come into this study? Well, I mentioned that we did talk about straight out of context and that is very much a, you know, we, we think we know a lot of things about scripture or we think we know what they mean based on where we see them placed in different places. Um, And if we take that thought train a little bit further, we can find ourselves in a place where we ask, well, do we really believe the right things about God? We we see different things in different places of the Bible. As I mentioned in our week three, you know, what do you do with places in the Bible that seem to contradict other places in the Bible? Are there things that we can just throw out? So do we have a complete picture of the identity of God? Do we have a complete picture in ourselves as we think about how we're following God in our lives or in our practices? Um, so it seemed very much like an extension of straight out of context to say, straight out of the Bible, who is God? What do, what have Christians believed about God for 2,000 years now and counting? Um, how do those take up residence in us? Do we live and believe in ways that are consistent with those? Do we believe in ways that are inconsistent with those? And what do we do with it? Yeah, and you actually were talking about this before we started recording. We, we were kind of running through this, and you actually drew that parallel, and I thought it was an astute observation you know, whereas with straight out of context, we're talking about verses taken out of context. Here, we're talking about thoughts or theologies that are taken out of context or that are taken too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honestly, like where we're coming from with this is one of the things we said with the scriptures when we were looking at straight out of context is why should we care about something that happened 2,000 years ago or more, you know, when we're talking about some of these verses or mm-hmm. people who lived. And when we're talking about old heresies that have long been declared heresies or, uh, you know, found as heresies, I guess, uh, you know, what's the point of looking at something that 2000 years ago, the church dealt with and, and, you know, no longer is an issue, so to speak, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why we're looking at that is because these actually tend to, uh, survive, uh, and have survived into our day. Uh, maybe not exactly in the shape or form that they took back when the church originally started dealing with them, but mm-hmm. there still are, you know, traces or Sam and I in in sort of talking about this beforehand use the term vestiges or tentacles of it mm-hmm. that still exist today. And that 
probably some of these, I know some of these heretical teachings are things that I have believed and taught at times in my life. And so some of these are probably things that you maybe believe now or have believed very recently, uh, almost you know, thinking that they were, that they, that they were orthodox, um, that they were a part of biblical Christianity. And, and then, you know, for me realized like, oh no, I was, I was totally wrong. And we kind of jokingly said, you know, let's look at this as a, you know, as sort of a, what, what do you believe now that you would have gotten burned at the stake for, mm-hmm. you know, 1600 years ago? Ha ha ha. That's not really a joking matter, but these are very serious matters and serious issues. And mm-hmm. you know, I would go so far to say, even if you did believe all the right things, if you, if that resulted in you like burning people at the stake or killing people because they didn't, that I would still consider that heresy too. But um, all, all that aside, uh, it is it is good and fruitful and beneficial for us to take a look at what it is that we believe and where it comes from and what is healthy, what is not, what does the Bible actually teach, what does it actually not teach, and what are things that, uh, that those that have come before us have had to deal with or even risk their lives uh, in order to preserve and pass on to us so that we could have it in an untainted form today. And so mm-hmm. so that's why this is important because uh, it still crops up. There are traces of, of each of these that are still alive in our churches today, um, wherever you'll go. And then um, it's also just important so that we have a, a polished and, and robust faith in God that is proper, that is you know correct in, in what it teaches us about him and how to live uh, in relationship to God. So, yeah. And, you know, at the end of the episode, I think one of the things that will be a lot of fun for us, John, as we get through this and hopefully listening, you will enjoy this too. But we'll find a couple of things that we see either in secular life or Christian life where we can say there are vestiges or little sticky tentacles that have found their ways into this part of our life that reflect this heresy. That yeah, even in popular culture. Mm-hmm. And so we have a list of those. I think there'll be a couple of them that will really surprise you. But that's part of the fun of doing this podcast is sitting here and saying, well, we normally think about heresies as something that is super old, super, super irrelevant to us, um, but they make their ways to everything. And I would venture to bet that you've probably sung a song in church very recently in the past couple of years that probably has a trace or a vestige of one of these things attached to it. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I mentioned we we normally think about it as very old, but we really do see a lot of these things still cropping up and getting apart away from the ones that we're going to talk about. You could say, well, what are some of the modern heresies that we've seen? Um, one of the good examples um, in the book that we're reading is during the Nazi occupation of Germany, um, if you can call it that. There were Christians who said that Adolf Hitler was the coming Messiah. And there were other Christians who, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who separated and said, no, this is not, this is heretical, um, we cannot do this. But you could also see it in the United States. I think we've done it to Americans, American Christians have done it at various places, whether they are using the Bible to say, well, slavery is gospel, slavery is good, we can still use slavery because the Bible says we're allowed to. I think people would say, no, 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 that goes very much against what we believe about God and God's intentions for us and for our world and for redemption. People at that time said that. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing I think that we miss. Like there's no, the Southern Baptist Convention formed because they wanted to defend slavery. It wasn't like that was a universal church teaching mm-hmm. that the church, that I've heard it said before, like, well, you know, the church t- changed their belief on slavery. No, they didn't. It was, there's no reason to break away from the church as the Southern Baptists did and as Southern Presbyterians did, mm-hmm. uh, if that was something that the church taught and believed. So that's a great example, Sam. Mm-hmm. You know, and we could also talk about, you know, nationalism, people saying that, oh, the United States is the second coming of 
uh, Zion or Israel, or we've been specifically blessed, um, that gets into some sort of biblical exceptionalism that we've been blessed by God and we are better or head and shoulders above other people because God is using us in a special way. Um, and, you know, we even see it today in some places, the health and wealth gospel, right? Kind of picking and choosing different things of the Bible to say, well, there's a point in my life where if I believe in Jesus, I can get far enough away from the cruddy things of the world that everything should become good. So, yeah, you know, just as just as much as we can use scripture wrong, I think we can use scripture wrong, not just to put on mugs, but also as we think about God and our relationship with God and who God is and who Jesus Christ is and their relationship as the Trinity and just all sorts of things. And that, of course, flows into who we are and what we do and what we believe and how we act in the world based on what we believe about God. And I think one of the big things here is much like we did with the last um, series that we did. If you happen to find yourself thinking, oh, shoot, I kind of believe one of these things. Does this make you a heretic, John? Yes. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, that, so that's one of the interesting things. And I think one of the things we often kind of miss is if you happen to believe the wrong thing about something, that doesn't make you a heretic. That just means that you got something wrong. And now you have an opportunity to say, oh, okay, I, I guess I got it wrong. Let's look at some other places. Let's see what other people of various different thoughts throughout time have thought about it. Um, I think you become a heretic. And this isn't my definition. You become a heretic when you know that something is wrong, and yet you still teach against what you know has been taught to be right. So, Yeah, or, or I would say, uh, you may not know, but you may think, well, this is right, but the majority of Christian history or, you know, just, um, you know, authority figures in the church, which I know that can bring some baggage too, but um, recognized authority could say, hey, no, I think that's a little off base. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's a great point. There's a difference between a wrong belief that is held versus a wrong belief that is taught. And I think that is where, and, and when, when you look at Christian history, church history, at the cases where, uh, you know, accusations of heresy have been made, it, it has been with those who have taught, who have mm-hmm. proliferated, you know, certain ideas and teachings and things like that. Um, it was never those who followed them who were on trial. It was always those who taught the the, uh, the the false teachings. Mm-hmm. And if you happen to have one of these, you can tell us be- if you want to ask us questions. We're not going to witch hunt you. We're not going to build a pyre out front and throw you on it. Um, you know, I think heresies in our worship and our beliefs need to be, you know, kind of pulled out like a, a bad root in your yard. Um, but they don't need to be scolded out or burned out or shamed out because you know, like we've talked before, this is a journey. We are trying to uncover and understand something that is wholly other than us and wholly beyond us. Um, and we're trying to do it through the lens of what has been revealed to us through scripture and through time and through the voices of other people before us. So we're, we're still trying, we're still working at this. And I think that's why it's important to look at what is the church and what is tradition, what is the Bible said about what heresy is and what right belief is, so that we can go and say, well, I think this, but it doesn't measure up against this standard, the standard that has been set before us. Yeah, and I think, too, it's important to note that not everyone who's ever been deemed a heretic actually was a heretic. Mm-hmm. You you had some who taught some things that went against church teaching at the time that they lived that ended up being right. Um, and so we're not choosing things like that. We're not choosing things that are recent. We're, we're choosing things that are pretty tried and true, have stood the test of time. Like these are definite things that go against the message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, just to give you an example of people who taught things that we now believe to be orthodox, Martin Luther 
was deemed a heretic. You know, he started the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Galileo, I believe, was deemed a heretic, or at least he, he was on trial, I believe, for that. So, uh, just to give you a few examples, not the church isn't always the church isn't batting a thousand <laughs> on this either historically, uh, to use a, a baseball term to prepare us for our trash band outing, Sam. Yeah. Um, but these are tried and true things that that have stood the test of time that definitely are antithetical or 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 not in line with the teaching of what the gospel message is that we find uh, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good segue point as we talk about, well, if how do we how are we going to define heresy or what is heretical? And I think the best way to do it is to measure it against what we know to be right. And that's you've probably heard us say orthodox or orthodoxy. We are not saying Catholic. Um, I mean there is a way to talk about the world church as the church Catholic, but that does not mean like the Pope's church. We're just talking about the large church. And when we say orthodox, we don't mean we are Catholic or we are, it's the Pope's beliefs. We are talking about these are the Christian beliefs that by and large a majority of Christians around the world would believe, um, whether you are Catholic or Greek Orthodox or Protestant or whatever, we would all sit down and say, Jesus was born to a Virgin Mary. He was human, but divine. He lived, died on a cross, resurrected after three days, right? These are all things that we would say, we believe these things regardless of which part of Christianity you might belong to. And so as we look even further to, well, how do you decide what orthodoxy is? I think there are a couple of three things, I think there are three main things we can look at here. Um, and some of these may be a little more uncomfortable for Baptists, John. Uh, I did not grow up Baptist, so I'm not nearly as uncomfortable and hopefully you won't be uncomfortable either. So there are three basic ones. And as we talk about today's topic, one of them will become a little more important, um, especially because of its relevance, but we'll talk about apostolic authority. So you had the 12 disciples, the disciples become apostles, really disciples, a learner, apostle is someone who was sent. Um, and the apostles had people that they would directly teach, much like if you had a teacher or a pastor that you just had coffee with all the time and you gleaned from them all the time, tell me about what you believe or what you see. Imagine that that pastor was the disciple John who became the, the apostle John, and you could sit down with that apostle day after day after day and tell me, well, what did you believe about Jesus? So then the person who would sit there and learn from him would say, well, I learned directly from the apostle who directly was with Jesus. So I think I have a pretty good idea of what was happening. And so then you would pass that down to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. So there would be a lineage of understanding and truth that would date back to the apostles and back to Jesus. So that's what we're talking about when we say apostolic authority. The next one would be the biblical authority or the revelatory authority. And when I say revelation or revelatory, we're not talking about the book of revelation. We're just talking about the things that have been revealed over time by God to humans, uh, which is the word of God, right? It's it's God revealed to humans in the form of text that we keep and reference and we look back to and becomes part of our understanding God. Um, we often refer to it as canon. John has said this many times that it, canon literally means measuring stick. So if there's something we're not sure about, we go back and look at what does the Bible say? Because this is you know, God revealed to us in word and language. And is this consistent with what we see here? Does it measure up to, to that? And then the next thing I would say, so we have the apostolic authority uh, from Jesus to the disciples and then down through people in a line. What does the Bible say? And then third, 
and I think this is the one that some people may be a little more uncomfortable with, is church tradition. And I don't mean this as, well, we just happen to get up and do church at 1230 instead of 930, and that is our church tradition. I mean, what are the thoughts, the practices, the understandings that people from across the world who are Christians, when they would get together, would say, this is what we all believe, and this is what we all know to be true. And this helps us kind of fill the gaps of the places where we might have questions or misunderstandings that we don't know. And this is where we get things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or some of these other writings or, you know, just pieces of literature where these uh, Christian thinkers have said, this is what we believe about this thing, not because we want to explain it away, but because we want to create guidelines or something to say, if you can fit inside this box, understanding the divinity and humanity of Jesus in one, then you are believing what we think the Bible is saying. We we think you are believing what has been passed down from the apostles and disciples. If you leave, the, leave this box, and this might be a really bad metaphor, John, you might have a better a better one. But if you leave this box, then you might be stepping out into territory that is not consistent with Bible biblical re- revelation. It's not consistent with what we understand that's been passed down directly from the apostles. No, I think that's good. And actually, I was gonna, I was thinking too about uh, just to build off of what you said with orthodoxy. You know, because that's a big word and people have heard it, but they probably have only heard it in the context of there being a denomination called the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, but the word just literally means uh, orthodox. Dox is where we get the word document. Uh, and it literally just means information. So if you think about, there's a there's a trend nowadays where you dox someone online and it just means you publish their address, their phone number, that kind of thing. You literally put their information online. So that's where that comes from. Orthodox, dox meaning information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably have gone to the orthodontist at some point in your life. Doncha uh, is the Greek word for tooth or teeth. Ortho means right, straight, or correct. Um, so orthodontia is literally correcting teeth or correct teeth, straight teeth. Uh, so orthodox is correct or straight or right information. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all. That's literally all it means. And again, these are things that have long been established uh, in church history, starting with Jesus, passed um, through the earliest disciples and then their followers, because the disciples had disciples. Started things started being written down more as you know we got to the end of uh, the disciples' lives. They were the firsthand eyewitnesses, and people were realizing like, hey, these guys are are dying. We need to start writing this stuff down as opposed to relying on them and their disciples to travel around and tell these stories. Mm-hmm. So that's how all, it all got started. It's not much different than, you know, 20, 30 years ago, I mean, you just started seeing a bundle of movies and documentaries and books and all sorts of things on World War II because we were 54, we were 50 years after that war and all those guys who had lived it were passing away. And so people wanted to preserve those stories and tell those stories before we lost those guys who were firsthand witnesses of it. So the same thing happened with biblical teaching and orthodoxy and things like that as well. You, you had, I mean, these guys were teaching it. And then as they started to die um, or be put in prison or whatever, there were some very astute, um, faithful people who who decided, hey, let's let's put this stuff down in, in writing. So, mm-hmm. but actually just to segue into what we're talking about today, yeah. some of what emerged with Gnosticism was claimed to have descended from the apostles to give it the authority that orthodox teaching had, mm-hmm. um, but it really didn't. Um, anyways, that so 
we'll use that to segue into <laughs> where you're taking us on uh, on Gnosticism, Sam. Yeah, yeah. So you know, just to finish the idea of orthodoxy, um, heresy is where we get. You know, we know what Christians for a long time have believed to be true. So the things that go against that, thoughts or beliefs or practices that go against that, we would consider heresies. So the the mother load of heresy, uh, the biggest one, um, one that continues to pop around is the one called Gnosticism. Uh, John, I'm sure you've probably heard this before. Do you remember the first time you heard the word Gnosticism? Probably did not hear the word until I was in a religion class, but... And I would imagine probably most of our listeners have not heard it, or they may have heard it like in passing Mm -hmm. in a Bible study or something. But I guarantee you, you have come across or maybe even believed yourself some of the, if not the direct teachings of Gnosticism, um, at least some of the tentacles or traces that have have lived on Mm -hmm. um, that that we alluded to earlier. So Gnosticism, of course, is another one of those like orthodoxy that we can break down into Greek and figure out what it means. And the root word of Gnosticism is gnosis, which is to know or knowledge. Um, That's not all of what it is, but that at least gets us started. There was a component that very much hinged on this idea of like having a special knowledge or a special understanding about something that other people didn't possess. So for us who have the Bible, we would say, well, God revealed himself in numerous places in numerous ways that we can all see what God has done and we can all benefit from them. They would say, that's great, but there is a special knowledge that you don't know that has been handed down to me and to the other people that I think are worth having this special knowledge. And this special knowledge will help them better navigate the world and understand, I guess, the what is behind the veil or behind the curtain of reality. So the text that we are even reading through says something I think is really interesting, that it's unlike orthodoxy, which would be a set of doctrines or beliefs or dogmas to say, this is what we believe, um, this is what we know to be true. Gnosticism was not so much that way, but it was more of an, an ethos or an attitude toward reality, especially time and matter, or what some modern neo-Gnostics called matter, energy, space, and time. Um, There was definitely a a disillusionment with history, trying to understand themselves within all of history. Um, And you can't even necessarily boil it down to, well, there was just this one section of Gnostics or Gnosticism. I think you could divide it into a couple of different pieces. You can have proto-Gnosticism, which is just first or beginning or early. And then you have the heyday of Gnosticism. And I think you can even say, well, we have post-Gnosticism now, or even a a neo-Gnosticism, which has just taken different lenses or different way, not lenses, but just different approaches that still carry some of the same attitudes along the way. John, do you have something? Yeah, no. So in, I guess, if your head's spinning, you're like, I've never heard all these words before. Mm -hmm. In layman's terms, basically, they, they believed anything that was in the physical world was evil. That was, that was kind of the full-blown Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam talked about proto. That's that's a good, you know, uh, uh, the, the kind of first emergings of Gnosticism. And then what we're dealing with nowadays, what we ha- have seen prop up more in our time is is what, yeah, Sam alluded to is neo-Gnosticism. And you probably hear that word used a lot too, or neo, that, that prefix used all the time. And it just means sort of a new emerging for our day teaching on you know, and then whatever the second part of that word is on something that's probably old and has come before. And so there's just mm-hmm. a new twist put on it. And that's the case with Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And much like you said, Gnosticism kind of boils down to a couple of tenets, but I really don't want you to think that this is all it is. I mean, we don't have 
eight episodes just to do on Gnosticism. If we did, we could do the entire thing on Gnosticism because it touches so much. And there are even a couple of other topics that we will kind of mention but barely get to cover that also fall under Gnosticism because it just it leaves so many pieces all over the place and touches so many things. But like John said, one of the biggest things is just this rejection of the physical world, um, which includes our bodies, um, includes matter, includes the whole of creation, includes time. Largely around this, you know, they think they have this special knowledge to understand that the physical world and the physical things are evil, but the things that are spiritual and outside of creation or outside of the world are good. So if you are in creation, the things that are creation are bad and awful and evil. If you can somehow escape through this special knowledge or arrive at a higher plane of understanding, you can make your way out of the physical and into the spiritual, which is where God exists far removed from all of creation. So think about it as, and this is very much an idea, it's kind of central, is that your body is a tomb, right? It is dead, is not helpful, is not good for things. And within your body is this spark or this remnant of deity or God that has somehow become trapped in your tomb, doesn't realize it, and the special knowledge helps wake up that piece of God dwelling within your body to let them sit, to let them know, hey, you're in a bad place, this isn't where you belong, and you got to get out of here as quickly and as best as you can. And through that knowledge, it allows you to better understand that. Yeah, it was, it was very much a lot about escaping, mm-hmm. escaping the, you know, what in our bodies or in the physical world holds us back. And it was one of the first, it was probably, you know, you, you talked about it earlier about being the mother of all heresies. It was probably the earliest thing that the, Mm -hmm. that the church had to, you know, deal with because it's heavily influenced by Greek philosophy. Uh, So in, and they, you know, the church was in Greek culture, just like we're in Western culture now. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, it emerged very quickly and there are quite a few, um, scriptures that actually allude to churches that are dealing with, you know, Gnostic teachings that are either going around their community or possibly going even around their church members. And I know, Sam, you're going to touch on that in a few minutes, Mm -hmm. but it's important. There's actually one point, I can't remember where it is, but I I remember there's a point in one of the scriptures where I think it's Paul criticizes the Gnostic teachers because they would, they would travel around. They were kind of hucksters um, and they would travel, travel around teaching like the apostles would. Um, and say these things like, hey, the physical world's bad, you know, don't help other people even was was one of their teachings that there's no need to to help the poor or their suffering because the physical world's bad anyway. Mm-hmm. But then they would be like, hey, but I need a place to stay or could you spare a meal for the night mm-hmm. or could you spare some money so I can go to my next town? Which So there was really sort of a uh, irony or even a paradox or, or uh, hypocritical sort of um, faction to Gnostic teaching and, and, and spreading the Gnostic message because it relied heavily on their physical needs being met by those who were, who were listening to, to the message. So Mm -hmm. just an interesting tidbit there. And that criticism is somewhere in the scripture. I can't remember where it is, but, um, I'll, uh, if I can find it, I'll, we'll throw it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And just to, you know, if you're thinking, okay, well, this is great, but what does it have to do with my Jesus and my modern Christian understanding? Well, it doesn't just stop at well, things are bad and you're trying to get to a good place, which kind of almost sounds like some modern Christian interpretation that the things as they are now are very bad and we are trying to get someplace that is not bad and is very good um, and that God is not here but is somewhere else that is where we want to be that is really good. Uh, you know, so there are things that bleed in. But even as we talk about salvation, um, their concept of salvation was, well, we need to escape the bodies. So we need 
someone or something who can come and direct us how to escape. And so that is their idea of salvation or liberation, um, as it plays out specifically even in the person uh, of Jesus. And that's a complicated thing in itself. But another thing that's, you know, I think crops up is that because God is so good and the world is so bad and we are bad because we are in the bad world, um, God cannot be connected to the world or the bad things. So there has to be another deity, some other dark deity that is largely in control of the world and the things that are bad and controls the bad, which you know presents two real issues for Christians. One is, what is the relationship between God and the world? And then two, is there some equal dark deity on equal footing with God? You know, is God so removed as to not care about the physical world only for what comes later? And then is he in a constant struggle with some equal dark being that is controlled at physical, that if we can just escape the physical, we can be on and beyond it. But yeah, John, thanks for mentioning the, the scriptures. I think one of the fascinating things is that you can't come and say, well, Gnosticism, that's just made up. We talked about proto-Gnosticism, and that's the early versions of it, and it very much shows up in scriptures. Um, and there are a couple of here that I pulled out for each of us. Um, one is in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, and it says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except the Holy Spirit. This may not seem like it's really speaking to anything, but some scholars and theologians think that Paul is specifically writing to the Corinthians because there are early vestiges or tentacles of Gnosticism that are taking place. And much as we talked about that the physical is good and the spiritual, or the physical is bad and the spiritual is very good, we come to a point of a crisis of sorts if we talk about the person of Christ, right? The person of Jesus. Orthodoxy, the early Christians and what the Bible says is that you have a being that is fully human and is fully God, but they the two pieces do not intermingle or control one another or interfere with one another, but are equal. And yet, despite having all of the frailties that we do, still overcame all of those things, which leads to a beautiful story of saving for Christians, but became a real big problem for Gnostics, right? Would the good God who is out in the spiritual realm, how could he possibly ever enshrine himself in a physical body? So they came up with an idea that, well, much like the first Men in Black movie where you have the alien that puts on the guy's skin and walks around and the skin begins to slowly decompose. They thought, well, Jesus is the human, Christ is the God being, and Christ wears Jesus like a skin suit of some kind. Yeah, and I think one thing too to touch on that I just thought about from what you said, it starts in a good place, right? Like it starts in a place where, and I think a lot of heresy does this or a lot of wrong belief or wrong teaching does this, it starts in a place where initially it's right. Like there's, with Gnosticism, there's a recognition that something's messed up. Like something in the world is messed up, mm -hmm. right? Like, and I think we can all agree to that. That's not a, I mean, the Bible does teach that. The Bible does teach that our world is tainted by sin, but where Gnosticism takes it too far is, well then, since everything is messed up, then everything must be inherently mm -hmm. bad and what, what the Bible teaches is, no, it's not necessarily inherently bad. It was created good and it's tarnished, but the Bible, and we'll go on to talk about this, but the Bible teaches that it will be renewed. Mm -hmm. um, it will be made new again. Um, and so that's where, you know, 
that's where because they started in a good place and went too far with it that's where they then get into some of their crazy teachings because because now you got to back up that that foundational belief you have that isn't you know it's not built on a good cornerstone but you've already started extending your foundation from there and now you got to keep building on that so that's where you come up with this this stuff like you know Jesus was just the skin suit for for the divine being um as you were as you were saying Sam mm-hmm. so back to that passage from Corinthians um it says that you know he says uh no one that is speaking by the spirit of god says Jesus is cursed and the interesting thing about that is some people believe that the Gnostics is a showing of their knowledge, their Gnosticism or their Gnosis would say, well, I understand that Jesus is just the skin suit for Christ. And so I will curse Jesus as a showing to other Gnostics that I understand the true reality that Christ is the divine being in this skin suit. And Jesus is just the person that is being indwelled. So it separates Jesus the person versus Christ, the Son of God. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, as we talked about comparing orthodoxy and heresy, orthodoxy would again say that Jesus is both incarnate God, fully human, and fully God at the same time. There's no living in a skin suit or fake reality or fake physicality or fake deity, that they are both there and they are both complete. So that's one thing. Another Another area you could see it is in Hebrews. Um, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold, hold firmly to the faith we profess. So again, it's this idea that we believe in a God who is our high priest. He lived here on earth and then ascended to heaven, right? He was both physical and he was both spiritual. He existed in both at the same time in tension, right? I think there's a tension that we're allowed to have here. And much like you said, John, perhaps these people are just trying to figure it out and they just didn't Maybe they intended good, and it just ended up to difficult places, right? It's hard to live in tension of complete humanity and complete deity, but mm-hmm. you know, at some point, it, it gets a little bit beyond us. Mm-hmm. And so, talking about beyond us and where it goes, I like to think about, you know, what are the logical, eventual logical conclusions of a lot of these? And this would hopefully, this will hopefully kind of give you some more ideas, and we'll get into, well, are any of these still prevalent? anywhere? Do we see them anywhere? So if you continue with this Gnostic idea, and again, what we've presented isn't all of it. There's so much more. It is a deep, deep, confusing matter over thousands of years. But at its peak in the second century, which is when we see the early church fathers and the church beginning to really grow and expand and find that it has heresies that it has to combat, you have the logical problems of if spiritual is good and physical is bad, is if Jesus was God, could Jesus be purely physical? Or if there was a physical being, was he God at all, right? So you kind of get two sides of the same coin. Either the Messiah was completely God, completely spiritual and not physical. So then you almost get this like phantom idea. So you, a phantom could never suffer and die on a cross. A phantom could never, a purely spiritual being could never face temptations that we do and succeed as they do. And then, of course, if you had a purely physical being that was not spiritual at all, you have a whole other set of issues. So, Sam, why, like, why is this a threat or something to be aware of for the average young adult going to Bible study? You know, trying to read my devotion weekly, mm-hmm. um, trying to do the best I can so that I can honor my my salvation experience and mm-hmm. live like Jesus and go to heaven. Yeah, and that's a great question. 
Um, and I think there are a couple of really good reasons why your normal average everyday person would want to know. One, I think there are a lot of people who mean their best and sometimes give us incomplete information. Or perhaps we've been reading something and we read it incomplete, so we have a partial idea of what we're trying to say. Another thing is that, much like you mentioned, John, these people at the time had Greek philosophy and Greek thoughts that bled into their everyday life and informed a lot of things. We as Christians, you know, we are not near ancient Greece, but a lot of these ancient ideas or Western ideas or Western concepts, especially post-enlightenment, have really infiltrated all aspects of our lives. And as Christians, we are called to live in the world, but not of the world. So to be a part of it, to make the world a better place while not existing in the same fashion or same way or pattern of the world. But if we're not careful, sometimes we can take on some of these worldly ideas or concepts into the way we do life or the way we practice our Christianity. Um, a good example is spiritual disciplines, right? You, you go to church, you read your Bible, um, you know that you want to go home and you want to grow closer to God, you want to know God, and you want to be intimately known by God. But because of the pervasive, niche, pervasive nature of spirituality in the world, you might begin to think, well, I'm going to sit quietly in my room and I'm going to pray and I'm going to connect my spirit to God and lift myself so that I can connect with God on God's plane. That is a Gnostic idea. Um, not the idea of connecting in a sense that yes. that I, it's almost supernatural. Exactly. Yeah. Right. The idea that you can somehow compartmentalize yourself into mm -hmm. mind, spirit, and body, and that you can divide one from the other is a very Gnostic idea. Much like we talked about the tomb of the body and the spirit that you need to divide from the spirit or from the tomb, the concept that you could sit and pray and divide yourself, your spirit, from your body to commune with God on a higher plane where God is is very much a Gnostic idea that you could separate yourself or that when you were in worship, you were lifting your spirit out of your body somehow to commune with God. I think that is a, also a very Gnostic idea, right? The orthodox understanding of the self and the person is one whole complete unit, right? You might have various different parts, but you are one complete piece. So you cannot pray just in spirit, but you pray and you commune with God as mind, body, and spirit. Does that kind of help answer one of the questions? Yeah, and I think too the whole idea of of everything on earth, everything in this world is evil or bad inherently or whatever. Uh, I think some of that comes from a misunderstanding of Paul's terminology and mm -hmm. the 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 book that you referenced earlier talks about this. Um, Paul will say uh, the desires of the flesh, and so people will automatically think, "Oh, well, he's talking about um, things of the of physical nature." Um, but then when you read about what the desires of the flesh are, there are some physical things like sexual immorality, but then there are things like greed and envy mm -hmm. and lust and anger, which aren't, aren't physical things They're So what he's, what he's referring to is not necessarily physical world things, things in the physical realm. He's referring to things of a sinful nature, mm -hmm. um, which has a spiritual component to it, obviously. Um, and that sinful nature can be, um, manifested in the physical realm, but so can a redeemed nature mm -hmm. can be manifested in the physical realm um, in, in our love for one another, in our practical uh, ways that we live uh, and caring for one another. So, so the physical world, again, isn't inherently bad. Uh, the things that we do in it um, really are sort of the, the manifestations of that, of good or bad. And then the other thing I would say too is I think we oftentimes misunderstand or misinterpret, you know, Satan being the prince of this world. And so we just assume like, you know, man, he's got, 
he's got it now, but like one of these days, like God's going to just destroy it all and Satan's going to lose. And that's not really what the Bible teaches. It's more, if you were to have a mouse in your house and... And a fox in a box. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> so you got a mouse on a loose in your house. And so you're like, all right, I got to deal with this mouse. So you go on amazon.com and you order mouse traps. Well, there's going to be two or three days before those mouse traps arrive where that mouse is still going to be on the loose. Does that mean that that mouse now owns your house or is the prince of your house? No. Uh, but he's got free reign until the order comes. And then once the order comes, you're going to place your mouse traps out and you're going to catch him and, mm -hmm. and then you'll dispose of him. So it's really, that's really kind of the biblical teaching of Satan is, um, you know, okay, well, he's on the loose and the, uh, the traps have been ordered and they're on the way. And in the meantime, yeah, he's got free reign for a while. Uh, but that doesn't mean like it's his house um, to to reign forever and, mm. and that um, the only way to deal with it is to burn the house down. <laughs> and I think you made a good point, especially as we talk about, well, you're sitting in your Bible study. What does this have to do with anything? One of the, there's the doctrine of original sin, which is orthodox. We believe that, that sin came into the world through through the first man, Adam. Jesus is the second Adam and he makes things right. And I think oftentimes we conflate this idea of original sin to mean that we are the absolute worst, we are covered and disgusting in sin. And I think a better thing to think about isn't that everything is awful and terrible, but just that we are now broken goods, right? Some, you know, it's like going into an antique shop. Some little kid wasn't paying attention, knocked over a vase, the vase is now broken and cracked and is not what it was supposed to be. Um, but the beautiful story of Jesus is that Jesus says, well, that vase is still what I want. I don't care if it's broken. I can make it better. I'll make it better. So especially as we think about ourselves in relation to the world, the beginning of the Bible starts out and says that God created the world and the world was good, right? Gnostics would say, no, the world was not good. I don't know what that is. That's nonsense to me because the world is bad. It's inherently bad. Look how bad it is. All of the bad things. You were bad. We need to get the spiritual realm because that's where the good things are because all of this is bad. And as Christians, as we live out our faith, right, we don't, we don't live in a vacuum of going to Bible study and going to worship. We are called to go and continue the mission of God to the world because God has a plan, a good plan for the world, and that although there are some bad things in the world, that's not the permanent position of the world. So if we just say it's all bad, then we have no reason to try to do anything for it or care about it if it's just bad and it's going to be destroyed, right? If it's mm -hmm. good and it's meant to be good, then we have reason to go and say, let's redeem the things that are good. Let's clean up the things that are bad. Let's work as hard as we can to remove the things that are bad from the world because it was good and God ordained it as good and God said this is what he wants. Which also, I think this is probably a very natural place to segue, which is a very interesting thing, talking about the imminent world and the eternal world. So we talked very early on, we said at the end, we'll kind of talk about some different things that do show up in our regular worship or our everyday lives that are probably really worth talking about. You know, if we think that this is just some ancient heresy that was a long time ago that we don't have to worry about that is unimportant, then it matters nothing. But if there are pieces, if there are vestiges that are still around, then it's maybe worth paying a little more attention to. So, yeah, and I hope, go ahead. I, I, as we've been talking, like, I'm, I've been sitting here thinking, like, I hope the person at home is starting to kind of clue in on this a little bit and maybe think like, wait a minute, are they saying, mm -hmm. yeah, because yeah, we're about to, I think. So, yeah. uh, or I think you're, I think at least hopefully you mentioned echoes of heresy uh, earlier on. I think that's the phrase you used. Um, I hope, I hope people are starting to see like, okay, this kind of sounds like such and such that maybe you heard it in a song or maybe 
you've believed at one point in time. So yeah, like what what's the, how does it live today, Sam? Mm-hmm. Well, have you ever heard the phrase, um, too heavenly focused to do any earthly good? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I mean, that kind of has some Gnostic vestiges, right? The, the, yeah, absolutely. the coming eternity is so great that we need not focus on the things that are right now. Or there's a, a very popular song that has the lyrics, we'll fly away. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know the song, this, go ahead. Yeah, th- this body is a prison mm-hmm. and that will will fly away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, which is also- All glory. Yeah, which is a very Gnostic idea that the things of the world, the things, the temporal pieces, our bodies are things that we will leave behind and we will fly off on little mm-hmm. naked baby winged things with harps and end up in heaven. Um, and a lot of old, old-timey old gospel songs are about like the mansions in heaven and this, that, and the other mm-hmm. and about... Because like people lived a hard life, yeah. and um, they it, it, they did have something to look forward to, and I mean this doesn't necessarily mean don't sing those songs or because um, listen there's there's a lot of songs that have a lot of line or two things in them that you're like oh, I don't know how much I really believe that mm-hmm. but um, there's other there's other value other things that are valuable in the song yeah. um, these are just a trace mm-hmm. a trace of of narcissism in there so but it's worth keeping aware you know you don't want to turn everything. You don't want to be a hammer and turn everything into a nail that needs right. to be hammered. Right. But I think there's value in saying, well, what? how can I check my faith to make sure that I'm not diving too much into these things? Another another song is turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? The whole mm-hmm. idea of this song is that at some point the world and all other things will fade away, but we'll be with Jesus and that's okay. And that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's not Christian orthodoxy. Um, there's some lyrics and I can't remember the name of the song, but it says this world is not my home. It's mm-hmm. another idea, right? Get away. And that's a go ahead. That's a phrase that you'll hear a lot too, yeah. or you'll you'll see, I've seen on T-shirts and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, um, which is not an orthodox idea. It has you know little pieces of Gnosticism is it in it. There's a, a popular song from what I think maybe the late '90s, um, "How Far Is Heaven" by the Lost Lonely Boys. This idea of like, oh, I'm so tired of this world. I'm ready to be done with it. I'm ready to go where like the things are good. Um, mm-hmm. Just another piece of it. Yeah, that actually is a secular song. Yeah. And, and, um, I've actually heard it on Christian radio, like, um, covered by Christian artists and, and the whole song is about, um, save me from this prison. And it's talking about how bad life is on earth. Mm-hmm. How far is heaven? Um, just not the most biblical, uh, concept. It's more of a, it's, it leans more Gnostic mm-hmm. in, in, in the picture that it portrays than it does Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. Uh, so you have this disembodied heaven with all these different songs, um, evil world or everything is so fallen and sinful, um, the eternalness of our souls. I think, I, John, we were talking about this earlier, that when you're born into a Christian church, I think you think, or you're taught to think that, well, at the end of life, because I know God and I know this, there is either heaven or eternal separation from God, that there is an eternalness. And because we are created, I don't think that there's anything naturally eternal about us, but it is God that has made something eternal about us to live in eternity with God. Um, so there's something there, the compartmentalization of self that, well, I can go and I can drink and smoke and do a lot of terrible things to my body, but my mind and my spirit will still be pure. Not a mm-hmm. Christian concept, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, That doesn't work. God removed from creation, that God is so far and God is so uninterested because he's trying to keep himself away. The biblical writers, the prophets said that from his seat in the temple, his robes overflowed from the temple into the world. You even see it early in Genesis where Jacob is sleeping and there is a ladder from heaven to earth showing that there is an overlap between the two. Um, 
you know, you even see it symbolized within the temple, that there's a very holy place where God dwells, and outside of that is where humans exist, um, which asks questions. If God is so far away, does he even care about creation? Um, you have God versus a dark God or an evil God. And then, you know, some Christians, and and I'm not trying to point fingers, but I think in an, an attempt to revere God or honor God or honor Jesus, they will think that God is so far and so above us and so beyond us, you know, purely just to honor God and honor God's divineness. But if we're not careful, that can become, you know, very Gnostic feeling after a while, because the God that we know became incarnate in the person of Jesus and very much decided to come live among us in the physical realm as not to be too far away from us. And he, I mean, Jesus did things like healed people's physicals, physical infirmity and mm-hmm. in, infirmaries. No, what am I trying to say? Yes, yeah. thank you. Uh, not infirmaries; those are like places in in the army where they take you. <laughs> uh, you know, turning water into wine—that mm-hmm. wasn't just a spiritual thing. Like that was a, that was a real thing. Yeah. So the loaves and fishes, right? If the physical mm-hmm. didn't matter, mm-hmm. why feed people? The the widow, right? Jesus was going to the city, and a widow was coming out with her dead son, and she had no husband. Right. One of the subtexts to it is that in that culture, they would know that she now has no more place in society because only the men can carry the property and the wealth. So now that her son is dead, she's going to be destitute pretty much. And so mm-hmm. instead of going and saving her right away, Jesus goes and resurrects her son. And then that becomes a vehicle for a spiritual transformation now that the physical has been healed. And this is prevalent in... Uh, popular culture too mm-hmm. so if you've ever seen the movie the matrix oh, great example it's very heavily influenced by gnostic sort of philosophy um you know neo number one the main character's name is neo which is the word one uh just rearranged the letters rearranged he's called the chosen one um the whole movie is about um that there's this you know what we think is reality but there's a, a level beyond that that is really reality and that Neo, the chosen one, and those who are aware or who have the knowledge have come um, to save us, to save humanity. But the salvation is through liberation from the uh, slavery to the physical world that we know, to the realm that we know. Mm-hmm. It's not salvation from sin in the sense that the gospel is. Um, it's it's liberation from you know the 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 bonds that uh, that keep us uh, imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so that whole movie is just heavily influenced by Gnostic imagery and philosophy. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is a little bit. You and I have talked about that. Oh, Star yeah. Wars, the Jedi being sort of an enlightened elite. You have to have this special spark or whatever, um, or whatever it was. The stupid thing they came up with the in that first. Yeah, yeah. midichlorians, whatever. So that's a little bit of a Gnostic idea. Um, you know, you have uh, obviously the Da Vinci Code a few years ago. Not many people, I would say, in our pews believe uh, what's in there, but your neighbors might. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- uh, the idea, what I really find interesting about things like the Da Vinci Code is they 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 will make the accusation that the church took Jesus, who was a real life living person, and like years later, centuries later, deter- like declared that he was divine. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is when this stuff first started emerging and when the church first started growing, nobody questioned whether Jesus was divine or at least whether Jesus was powerful. That wasn't what the claims that the Gnostics 
were making had problems with. What the Gnostics had problem with was the claims that Jesus was human, which is why you see in First John, um, Jesus or John saying things like, "If anybody denies that Jesus came in the flesh, um, they're they're not of God." Um, and, and you'll see that throughout the scriptures, um, particularly towards you know the books of of First, Second John, Book of Jude. They're dealing with this heavily in their churches. Um, and it wasn't because the Gnostics didn't believe Jesus was divine. It was because they didn't believe he was human. Mm-hmm. Even you have Jewish writings from around that time that didn't have a problem saying like, yeah, Jesus was a powerful dude. Um, they just said he didn't do his power by the work, by the power of God. He didn't do his works by the power of God. He did his works by the power of Satan. Um, so the idea that the church invented Jesus's divinity centuries later just doesn't hold water because it wasn't the divinity of Jesus that people had problems with. It was the humanity. And so, mm-hmm. um, as we, you know, as that sort of, uh, as we talk about how, you know, this might exist today in your own belief system, um, you know, you probably don't struggle with that sort of stuff as much as you do this whole idea of everything around me is, is bad or evil. And, um, really what, I hope we're centering on with this is no, it's not necessarily, it's not inherently, um, God didn't create it that way. God didn't create you that way. Um, are we all tarnished? Yes. But the, the point of the gospel, um, look at the resurrected body of Jesus. Like it's still a body. Mm-hmm. It still has scars, but it, it has now been renewed in such a way that in some cases it's not even recognizable mm-hmm. by, um, his closest followers, but it's still a physical body that, that, eats fish and that, um, you know, does, does other things, walks around and talks and things like that. So, um, there is a sense in, in which, uh, yes, there are spiritual components to us. Um, yes, when we die, we will, um, we will go to heaven, but that's not the final destination. Um, uh, N.T. Wright talks about, um, you know, he, he says, you know, we always talk about heaven is life after death, but the Bible talks about life after life after death. Mm -hmm. So um, heaven is more of a sort of a holding place until God returns or Jesus returns and um, renews all of creation and establishes the new heavens and the new earth, um, or uh, to put it properly, the renewed heavens and renewed earth. It will be this planet, um, but renewed um, and and, um, freed of the the stain of sin. Um, So we will have resurrected bodies at some point in time. And so it will very much be a physical life. It will be the life that we were meant to live originally. Mm-hmm. And um, it will be full of the things that we enjoy now, but in an untainted sense. Um, so that's where I hope for the listener at home, you kind of see maybe where you've held on to some, again, tentacles of, of Gnosticism that originated centuries ago and, and that the church has, has had to deal with and, and declare you know, as, as heretical, it still shows up in our songs, Mm -hmm. you know, like this earth is a prison or this body is a prison or whatever. Um, and that's probably what we have the tendency to believe, but that is not what, that's not what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So John, you you touched on it. If you find that, oh, maybe I have a little belief, a little bit of beliefs that maybe, you know, little pieces of tentacles that have stuck onto me of Gnostic origin, does that make you a heretic? Yes. No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it doesn't. We we are all yeah. evolving. We're all on this journey. Um, our faith is evolving. Our understanding is evolving. Um, and we're just all here together as a community to learn about the Bible and to learn about Christ and learn about ourselves in a relationship with God so that we can live according to 
the life that God intended for us, and we can participate in the plan that God has for the redemption and the renewal of all of creation. So, yeah. John, if if you are someone who's like, oh, there are a couple of things that maybe I, I didn't realize that are old attachments to heresy, what do you do? Uh, well, like we talked about with Straight Out of Context, don't read scripture in a vacuum. Um, look at the surrounding verses. A lot of times that'll solve your problem right there. If you just look at the four or five verses around the verse that you're looking at, uh, interpret the Bible with the Bible. So think about what do I know that beyond the shadow of a doubt that the scripture teaches elsewhere and how can I use this to go and inform this passage that I have a question about. So, um, you know, do that. Talk to pastors, talk to um, Bible teachers that you respect, find. I mean, there's so many resources online. There's a lot of crazy heretical stuff online, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of good stuff too, um, like the Bible Project. Uh, biblicalteaching.org is a is a good resource that's 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 seminary level kind of stuff so if you're looking for something that deep that's a good place to go um study bibles are are really good um theologians if you you know just uh, sam and i both could could recommend books to you that you could uh that you could look at into so um those are places to uh to deep uh dive deeper as well and then um be willing to uh, be open, I guess, to the idea that you you may not have a uh, full, thorough, robust, robust um, understanding of all things. I don't. Um, Sam doesn't. Uh, and and I've, as I've said before, many of these things we're talking about are things that I have uh, wrongly taught, heretically taught in the past or believed in the past. Um, and so... Just be willing to admit uh, that you were wrong about something when that time when that time comes, um, and uh, allow the spirit to work in you and through you, through the uh, you know some of these other methods that we talked about. You know, consulting scripture and consulting those that uh, you know are in the community that God has placed you in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a a great word. Is if you are in community or you are looking for a place to have community, there are places you can get plugged in here. And I think that's how scripture is supposed to be understood in the midst of other people. So you can understand it together. So you can engage one another um, and just really dive into it. Let it wash over you. Yeah. And I will say too, add to that. Um, it's for the, it's for your community and it's for the community of all believers. So I kind of cringe sometimes when I'm in a Bible study and someone will ask the question, well, what does this verse mean to you? It doesn't, it's not supposed to mean anything to you. Mm-hmm. It's it's supposed to mean something to us. So that's a better question to ask. What does this verse mean for us? Or what does it mean for the church or for Christians in general? Um, so that's another <laughs> sort of step you could take to better understand and interpret mm-hmm. the things that are going on in Scripture and, and land on better footing and better ground uh, for things that are orthodox in, in their beliefs and theology. Mm-hmm. And as we conclude, as not to be Gnostics ourselves, I encourage you, now that you've listened to this podcast, to be transformed by the renewal of your mind and engage God with your heart and put it into practice through your body. Um, Let all things worship God in one way. We'd love to thank Ellen Christian for putting together our image cover for this season. Thank you, Patrick Chester, for everything you do. Thank you, John, for assisting for being my assistant today. I don't get to say that often. (laughs) And we look forward to seeing you next week. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or other things you'd love to talk to us about, we'd love to. If anything we have said is heretical, email us. Let's talk about it. Let's go out to coffee. Let's let us buy you lunch. And until next week, see you soon.
stinking train. <laughs> yeah. So loud. Yeah, it's definitely coming through yours a lot more than it's coming through mine, I think.